You're listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parenting expert, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in all different areas of your parenting so you can create strong connections with your kids, get all the cooperation you want, and live a life that is full of joy and connection. And by the way, the tools and solutions that you're looking for in your parenting don't just live in each episode of my show. They're also in my free membership site, The Parent Toolbox, where you can access tools created by myself and my brilliant guests that cover everything from helping your kids to sleep, managing meltdowns, reducing overwhelm to getting your kids to listen the first time and so much more. Join The Parent Toolbox so you can download and use the tools that are ready on the site and Each week, a brand new tool is added. And of course, the best part is it's absolutely free to join and to stay in. You can go to www.parent-toolbox.com today. Now, before we get into this episode, I want to share with you another podcast that I think you're going to find really interesting. It's called Didn't I Just Feed You? It's a weekly candid conversation about feeding our families, even for parents who hate to cook. Hosts Stacey Billis and Megan Splawn are two food professionals who get real about feeding kids, tweens, and teens because they're also busy working moms, so they get it. They talk about how to turn things like nachos into a legit family dinner, to the magic of meatballs, to solving the after-school snack problem, even reducing kitchen waste and debt all at once. They chat with guests from Food Network stars to everyday moms who, let's be honest, are the real experts. In fact, Didn't I Just Feed You is a staple on the iTunes Top 100 Food Podcasts and the only food podcast made with parents in mind. Stacey and Megan are on a mission to make cooking easier, more delicious, and maybe even a little bit more fun. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Now, you can also find Stacey and Megan on Instagram and Facebook as at Didn't I Just Feed You. Now let's dive into this next episode of Parenting Our Future. Hey everybody, it's Robin. It's Parenting Our Future and we are back with Dr. Noreen Russell, who is just a wonderful coach and um, has a practice that helps parents and students across the U.S. and Canada really um, help them to thrive when we have kids that are not typical. So I, I want to just say thank you for being here again. And thank you for extending this conversation because last the last week, what we really did is just really talk about the struggles and we want to really just put it all out there as two moms who know what it's like, who also help parents deal with these struggles Um, you know, from our perspective, from what we've seen from other people. And now we want to dive into the strategies, which you have got some really great strategies for parents. So welcome back. Thank Thank you. you. I'm excited to be here. I can't wait to do this second half because, you know, the understanding and the empathy is so important, but now we got to figure out how to be the moms we want to be. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked a lot about having grace, having patience and having understanding and of each other and others as well. Like we got to drop the judgments. We've got to drop the assumptions. We just got to say, Hey, you know, how come it's like that for you? Or what can I do to support you? That sort of thing. So let's just go in and talk about, um, ADHD. Let's start there. And like, what do parents of ADHD kids need to know? Okay. So 
I love this. Let's talk about this. I want to talk about what parents of kids with ADHD need to know to parent in a way that is connected and respectful. You know, the things that you and I both believe in, the things that your listeners are trying so hard to do. There's all kinds of other things that they need to know about school and medication. And that that's a different topic, a different show, maybe a different podcast. But when we think about the three main symptoms of ADHD, and we think about how does that get in the way of respectful, connected parenting. Can I walk through each of those and give some concrete suggestions? Yeah. Okay. So the first symptom that we talked about last week was this inability to regulate attention, that Mm. your child's attention is going to wander. They're going to be spacey. They're going to be inattentive. They're going to forget things, right? So What are the tools you're going to want to have in your toolbox to maintain connection? First, I think that if you can develop a little bit of drama skills, that is very effective. So some of us as human beings use the same tone of voice all the time. Mm. We don't use our facial expressions a whole lot. We don't use our bodies. But if you want to get the attention of a person whose attention is wandering, use your drama skills, you know? I love it. Raise your voice up, lower your voice, get serious, lean in, back up, you know? Use some very basic drama skills to capture their attention. What you wanna do is set your behavior out of the ordinary. You know how we all loved those teachers who, you know, had great demonstrations and they were passionate about their topic. Now you can't go around the house all the time being dramatic, but if there's a conversation that you want to have or, you know, an experience that you want to talk through with your kids, or let's talk about this because your parents will relate to this. You're getting ready to go somewhere and you want to prepare your, your, your son or daughter for what they're going to need to expect ramp up the drama today. We're going somewhere special. We're going somewhere. I think you are going to love to go. We're going to see world. Now there is going to be a lot of noise at sea world. There is going to be a lot of commotion, but you and I, we are going to hold hands the whole time we are at sea world. And I want you to remember one thing, right? And you're going to hold your finger up and you're going to pause. And so you can see how I'm telling a story, right? You can see how I am using a little bit of voice. And and because we're on video, you can see my facial expression, but hopefully people can picture it. I'm leaning into the, you know, the space of the child, I'm whispering in their ear, maybe, right? I'm looking in their eyes. I'm raising my eyebrow. Do you get it? Do you get it? We are going to be connected the whole time. You are going to hold my hand or you're going to have a hold on the stroller, right? And when we can do that, we are going to have a great experience. So I think that technique of maybe stepping out of your comfort zone, you know, maybe that's not in your comfort zone to talk like a theater major to your kid, 
but it captures their attention and it works with the neurology, right? You have to ramp up the interest that they have in what you're saying so that their brain gets the message to pay attention. If you just say casually on your way into SeaWorld, hey, make sure you hold on to my hand. Your kid with ADHD is not going to hear that, encode that, remember that, or do it. So slow down, take the time, Mm. make it dramatic in a good way, right? Okay, I think the next thing with the attention piece is catch them at a time when they can focus, right? For some kids, that's in the car. For some kids, it's at bedtime. For some kids, it's, you know, before they're doing homework. For some kids, it's when something catches, you know, their interest and they want to talk to you. But catch them when you're not fighting the symptom. If they're already distracted, they're dysregulated, they've had a hard day, you know, I'm going to say this, we're not, we're not going to get into meds today. If the medicine has worn off, you know, don't take that as an opportunity to have a conversation about why you have five missing assignments, right? Find a time and a space where your kid is able to focus and go with that. That's a strengths-based approach to parenting. And then I think as we have teens, right? I think when we get to that age, a lot of this is about respect and saying, would you be willing to set aside some time to talk with me about something where I really want to have your attention? It doesn't have to be today. It doesn't have to be tomorrow, but there is something that I want to talk with you about. You know, I'm worried about how the process of college applications are going. I'm worried about how much sleep you're getting. When could we talk about that? Allow them to be an active participant in deciding when do you have these conversations? So those are, I think, three age-appropriate strategies for that first symptom of the brain. Just, it doesn't regulate attention the way a neurotypical brain does. That is really cool. I love the idea of the drama, uh, the tone of voice. I, I, I would tend to take the drama and be like silly uh, or, you know, talk in a different accent. But, but what I saw you do, and by the way, you can watch us on YouTube because I, I published the, the video as well. So uh, for anybody listening, you can, or you're watching us on YouTube, we're here. Um, so the leaning in, right? Like what you're really doing is you are connecting first and then you're talking to them. And Honestly, doesn't that work for everybody too? Like these are really universal truths that you said, you know, and, and, and I can totally relate to, um, to that. Like what, when we have always said like, oh, we're going to go do this thing or that thing. My son is always like, no, I don't want to. And I've learned, I'm like, okay, what is your question? Like, what is it that you're thinking of? Like, what have you come up in your mind? What's the image in your mind that you have that you don't like, right? So I don't attach to that anymore. I'm just like, why do you always have to ruin it? You know, why do you always have to complete blah, 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 right? So that's really great. Catch them when they can focus and then give your teams the respect and saying, which, you know, I, I would really love to talk to you. When do you think it's a great time? I think that's so lovely, so lovely. And wouldn't you do that to a good friend? Wouldn't you do that to your spouse? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just going to walk in when they're in the middle of uh, work or whatever and just say, oh, we need to talk about this. It's a big deal. And you better put everything down and listen to me. Like, no, no, <laughs> no, 
Okay. So let's, let's move on to the next one. Impulsivity. Okay. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about impulsivity. I think that our most respectful response to a child who behaves impulsively is to acknowledge how badly they wanted the cookie, the game controller, the Wi-Fi access. You really wanted that cookie right now. And it felt like you couldn't wait. You wanted your phone badly enough that you were willing to go into my closet and take it out of the safe and lie to me about it. It was really important to you, right? Okay. Because if we start from any other place, we start a shaming and a blaming cycle. The very definition of impulsivity is no better, but unable to resist the impulse, right? right. So we need to connect in, in that child and teenager's head how do I talk to myself through an impulse? And the first thing that they need to do is say, and to acknowledge, yes, I really want to smoke weed. Yes, I really want to shove that kid. Now, let me slow down and pause and think about what are my options. And that is, I think, an age-appropriate strategy no matter whether you're dealing with the three-year-old, the five-year-old, the seven-year-old with the cookies, the tween who, you know, maybe wants to wear something that's inappropriate or take something of yours or damages something. And the teenager who can, you know, those kinds of impulsive behaviors can get even more serious. But the first step is acknowledge you really wanted that. That was a strong impulse because then I think we're teaching the emotional intelligence of understanding the feeling, right? Labeling the feeling you yeah. wanted that. And then we teach the pause, right? You really wanted that. And I'm wondering if we could talk about how next time you want that thing, you could teach your body to pause. You don't have to teach your body, your, your brain to not want the cookie or not want the phone or not want the weed. But how can we teach you to pause your body, right? So the kid with the cookies, right? Teach your body to stop, right? Put your hands on your stomach and say, do I want a cookie? Do I want to get in trouble? Are we going to have dinner soon? Can I wait, right? But do something with the hands, you know? And, and I think teaching the pause for impulsivity is so hard, but when it comes on the heels of empathy, then what we see is our kids internalizing this message of it's okay to have impulses. I mean, I don't know about you. I have impulses. Like I, I have wanted to seriously harm people in my life. I have wanted to own things that don't belong to me. I, you know, I, I, we all have impulses. And so empathy, pause, and then you know, how can I make a decision based on what's going to be the outcome of that? And, and then how do I self-talk? That's not going to be a good choice. Like I really should not smoke the weed because I know my parents are going to drug test me every week. I know I should not smoke the weed because I would disappoint my mom. I want to do that. I'm going to pause 
I'm going to walk away from this party for 10 minutes, right? I'm going to stop and think, and I'm going to use my self-talk to remind myself of why this is a bad idea. And I think that three-step process can be used with everyone from preschoolers through your young adults. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. And it gets you thinking ahead too, that like, so if I want this cookie, I will pause and ask myself first. Maybe you come to the decision that, yeah, it is worth it. I am going to have this cookie anyway. <clears throat> but, but, you know, I've done that too with my kids and like, you really want this. You really, really want this thing. I hear you, you want it so bad. And I think that acknowledging and that empathy piece is important because you want them to know you understand. Like, yes, I hear you. I get it. And, you know, and it's like, yes, you want it. You want it so bad. I know you really want it. Um, so good. So good. And, you know, um, I just, I just keep thinking of this, uh, this outing that we had during the summer where we went, uh, we went down to um, this beautiful park that we have in Vancouver called Stanley Park. And we did, we were doing, we were renting uh, scooters, uh, electric scooters, and my son could not for the life of me stand in line and be patient. And he was swearing, he was being rude. He's, you know, saying, why do you do these things? You make us wait. You always, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was trying not to get triggered because in my mind, I'm thinking of all of the things that like, we're doing this for you. Like, why can't we just have a nice family moment? Blah, blah, blah. All those, all that stuff. And I just said, you know what, bud, this is really hard for you. You really don't want to wait, do you? I know. You know, and even, you know, now that he's a teenager and I talk like that, I've talked like that for years now, right? Sometimes he's like, don't talk to me like that, whatever. But like, I know that he's like secretly just like, yeah, I don't want to, I don't like waiting, you know? <laughs> yeah. So well, I think it's important, you know, these are the same kinds of de-escalation strategies that people use in all kinds of conflict situations. It's, it's genuinely hearing the other person and acknowledging the validity of their experience. You don't have to agree with it. You know, that was yes. such an insight to me early on in my parenting journal journey. Yeah. You don't have to appreciate, like, agree with, condone any feelings, but you can understand that they are those real feelings. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Even if you don't agree, empathy is you just putting yourself in your child's shoes, seeing the world the way they see it yeah. and adding that ADHD lens or that autism lens and saying, okay, this is really hard for you. You know, I don't have a problem with this. Should I have anticipated this? Yes, I should have, but I didn't, I didn't think about it, you know, shame on me, you know, I, but, but at the same time, I'm not beating myself up. I'm just like, you know what, here we go again. And it's okay. I got you. I got you. I know this is hard, right? We ended up having a great time um, because I didn't shame him, criticize him and do all that stuff, right? We were able to have a really fun time together. Um, but if I had, if I had really, you know, yeah, given him heck for it or whatever, we wouldn't have. And that was the whole reason we went out to, is to have fun. So well, and let's acknowledge that if you had insisted on neurotypical behavior in yeah. the moment, right? <laughs> it wouldn't have worked. So I, I'm a pretty pragmatic person, you know? Right. Listen, if, if I could get away with just saying, you have to stand still, you have to behave, you know, sure, I, I, sign me up, but it doesn't work. You know, and I think that's been the silver lining of, of kids who are complex and challenging. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about hyperactivity. Want to? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so can we talk a little bit about this myth of I'm just going to get all the energy out of them? Okay. <laughs> okay. First of all, exercise is a great intervention for kids with ADHD, 100%. I'm an advocate of it. I'm an advocate of daily PE all the way through high school. Mm -hmm. Advocate of daily exercise. Exercise requires self-control, discipline, coordinated movements, right? Running around like a crazy person in the backyard does not really get energy out. It's dysregulating, right? And so- We have to, as parents, I think, develop a more nuanced understanding of getting the energy out. Your kid has a neurological symptom of hyperactivity. That means their body feels restless. You could send them outside for three hours and they could come inside and still feel restless in their body. So let's just approach that with love, that there's no getting the energy out. The restlessness is part of the chronic nature of ADHD. That being said, exercise, physical activity, creative time outside, green space, let's be all for it. I mean, I think that is another area where as parents, if we teamed up and we said, we want more of this, we want daily PE, we want more meetups at the park, we want, you know, more bikes, you know, I'm not going to wax nostalgic about the old days, but there is this element of how do we create community outside the house as opposed to inside on our gaming consoles. We can do both. We can have both, right? And we're not going to get distracted by all of that. But when it comes to maintaining your connection with kid with their hyperactivity, I think some of that involves becoming an active family, right? So becoming a family that has a bike rack and all the family has bikes or becoming a family where, sure, you get your rollerblades, they have their um, skateboards, you know, connect with your child while they're doing activities that allow them to discharge that feeling of restlessness while you're doing something enjoyable together. Like, Don't separate the two things. Like my kid needs to go get all the energy out and then they can come in and bake cookies with me or then they can. And they're lovable. (laughs) Right, right. You know, Um, I think there is an element of, um, you know, see them, meet them where they're at. I have a dad in my practice. I thought this was amazing. Built, he's kind of handy, built a skateboard ramp for his kids, you know, driveway and, and, you know, they get all suited up in their helmet and their elbow pads and all of that. And they, they do the skateboard ramp in the driveway. You know, I have another family who, I mean, this, this mom, she has no interest in hockey. She, she's not a sports person at all, but this family has two huge hockey nets and they go out and they play street hockey, the four of them, because the mom knows that that connection and the shared experiences through being active are going to really enhance that connection. And so as someone who's not inherently athletic or particularly outdoorsy, you know, I, I'm a, 
I'm a reader, right? Like I, I would sit inside and read all day. I had to push myself to say, okay, let's all get the bikes. Let's all go out on the trail. You know, I want to say to them, go take your bikes and go get the energy out, but I have to go with yeah. them. And I'm not yeah. great at it. I, I'm not great at it. But I think when you talk about respecting and connecting with that, it's really joining in an activity that will allow them to discharge that restless feeling okay. so that then you can create the emotional connection. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, it does. And you know what I keep thinking about as you're talking, you know, we, we talked last time about how you sort of have to mourn the loss, but, but when you've mourned the loss, let's not forget that you also get to have a life and experiences that you never dreamed of. Right. So when a door closes, another one opens. So it's not all sadness and, you know, darkness. There's other things that are great. I never knew I was going to be doing family bike rides with our kids. You know, we never knew we were going to be that kind of active family, but how beautiful is this? I feel better and more healthy. My kids need that. They feel more better and healthy. Right. So that's actually really beautiful and actually really exciting when you think about it that way. I love it. Oh, 100%. And I'll say for us as a family, the same has been true about having kids on the spectrum. So yeah. one of the absolute silver linings of having two kids who are so bright and on the spectrum has been, they have these deep, deep intellectual interests. I've watched more documentaries as a parent. I've listened to more news programs. I have bought more books about animals and science and biology. I love, I mean, as someone who, you know, I'm kind of a geeky intellectually, I'm not a fun person. You wouldn't invite me to a party, but if you want to know what, you know, the book said, call me. So for me, I have loved the way that manifests itself in my family. I love when my son will tell me every fact he knows about wolves and the conservation of wolves and where he needs to go to school to become a wolf biologist, that is connection with him. And it does work as connection for me because I'm seeing him, right? And he's excited by my questions and my learning. Mm -hmm. And he'll ask me, did you know that mom? Like, do you know where wolves are most in danger? And I'll say no. And, and while it's not reciprocal conversation in the way it is with my college roommate on the phone, there is an element of shared experience. It does go beyond as they get older, that kind of little professor lecturing at you when they want to share that with you, you know, um, and my daughter has this great interest in space and technology, and she's watching you know, the Cosmos series um, with my husband and he watched, you know, he grew up in Orlando, Florida. And so he was able to watch some of the first, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Launches or launches. Yes. Um, And so that's That's fun for them, you know, from different generations. And so again, if, if you can put yourself and meet that child where they're at and what they're interested in. You don't need to set yourself totally aside, right? You can have your time, but what you can't do, I think 
with kids who are atypical neurologically is you cannot so much assume that your agenda is going to work. We're going to go camping. We're going to go to Disney World. We're going to go to the beach. You kind of have to give up some of that sense of control. But if you go to meet them, man, you're going to have a great time, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's that simultaneous tension, right? Of, but wait, I wanted to go camping. Like, I'll tell you, I wanted to grow up and be a camping family. I love camping. I wanted to camp. I wanted to have the tents. I want to have the bonfire. No, we don't have the tents and the bonfire. Yeah. We just don't. But both things are simultaneously true. We don't have the camping and the bonfire, but we have the documentaries and I get to listen to NPR with my kids on the way to school every day. And that is cool. Yeah. And what you're doing too is by meeting them where they are, not where you want them to be, but where they actually are, you're reinforcing how loved and lovable they are, right? How their words matter, how their thoughts are important to you. Um, You're giving them attention. You're giving them connection or you're building connection, uh, unconditional love. And, uh, and, and you can even, you know, if you, if you touch them and give them little lovies too, that that's affection too. Right. So you're really ticking a bunch of those boxes that of just the core basic human needs by just sitting in, in, in the love of what it is that they're interested in. Right. It goes so far for your relationship and it does so much. So I just love everything that you've just said. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. It's so great. Um, do you have some, some, you know, some things that we can do with our kids who are on the spectrum in terms of the the core impairments they have. Right. So, you know, I think this issue of getting into whatever their interests are is central, right? So I'll never forget back when I started coaching, I had a student who was super into comic books. I've never looked at a comic book in my life, right? right. But yeah, this kid was passionate about comic books. And so he would talk with me all the time about, you know, the latest comic book and the latest movies that were based on these, you know, comic books and things like that. And it would have been very easy for me to adopt sort of a neurotypical stance on this and say, well, that's great. You know, he's really interested in comic books and Marvel, but he has to learn how to have a conversation you know, about things that we both want to talk about because that's neurotypical, right? Yeah. And I didn't. And instead what I did was I tried to weave in things that I wanted to work with him on into the comic books, right? So, okay, you love that character. What motivates that character? What obstacles has that character had to overcome? You know, what do you see around you in terms of obstacles other people have to overcome? So instead of imposing a neurotypical point of view, like you can't do Legos, you know, that's a common one for, for boys with autism all the time, right? Well, let's say, you know, go ahead, build all the Lego things, right? Like, what do you love about this? What brings you joy? You know, is it the building? Is it the colors? Is it the engineering? To me, it's an opportunity that if you can be curious about those fixed and repetitive interests that your kid with autism is going to have, then you get to learn, which is fun if if you are curious, 
but you also get to connect with the essence of who your kid is. And isn't that ultimately what we want? Like I want to go camping because I loved relaxing around the fire, right? That's the essence of me. But as a parent, I do want to see the essence of my kid. Is it the satisfaction in working through 700 pieces and 35 pages of directions in six books? I want to know that that's what charges you up, you know, for my daughter who loves animals more than she loves people. What is it? Is it rescuing the animals? Is it, you know, protecting their habitats? I want to know you. And so I think when it comes to these two core impairments of autism, I think getting inside your kids fixed and repetitive interests and and what they are fixated on, that's what allows you to unlock the connection. There's this so beautiful story. I think it's a book now about a dad um, who has a son who actually had some pretty um, severe autism. And that dad saw that the boy loved Disney movies and they would watch these Disney movies over and over and over again. And then the dad in this stroke of genius started using lines from the Disney movie as a way to communicate with his kid outside of just reiterating the scripting over and over again. And the kid would start mixing and matching and communicating, still using the scripted lines, but in a way that was authentic reciprocal language. And so to me, that's the most beautiful and powerful example of connection while you are respecting who your child is as a human being. Wow. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Okay. So that covers the fixed and repetitive interests uh, for, for kids on the spectrum. And then we have impaired social communication. And look, that gets a lot of parents, their heartstrings really pulled because don't we fear uh, our kids sitting alone on the playground with no friends or never, ever going to prom or, you know, all the things, right? Not getting picked for dodgeball, you know, all those things, right? Which we just feel sick about, right? So how do we help them? Right. So I think in terms of maintaining the connection, right, the family connection, the parent connection, you know, I I think what we can focus on here is I got very caught up in the manners aspect of that. Like if I say, hi, how are you? I want you to say, I'm doing pretty good today. How are you? Right. Right. I approached this from a neurotypical point of view. I wanted my kids to ask how I was because I wanted to think they cared about me as human beings. I'm telling you, it took me a long time to get over untangling manners from social communication because I equated manners with kindness and caring about other people. Mm-hmm. Once I could untangle all of those related constructs and I saw that my kid was the kid who would give the shoes off her feet to her best friend, that my kid was the kid who would do a drawing for every kid in the class for Valentine's Day. Once I saw that this kind of 
inappropriate social communication, inappropriate because it wasn't neurotypical, didn't mean that my kid didn't love and care and respect. Then I was able to see how they communicate that. And going back to your point of where, you know, where we worry about our kids in other situations, I was able to start cueing other people to how do my kids show their love, you know? And so in, in essence, I think I looked at the social communication that my kids both were doing and kind of expanded the idea of love languages, right? So when my son brings you a picture, when he brings you a gift, that is him saying to you, hi, how are you? Right. Mm. When, you know, my daughter says to me, mom, is there anything I can get for you? She's not asking, hi, how are you? She's not saying please. And thank you, but she is communicating love concern. And ultimately I had to kind of back burner the pro forma manners, you know, and the socially appropriate, Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. I had a good morning at school. How are you doing? You know, like, um, the rigid insistence on please. And thank you for every request. You know, my kids were inside their own head. You know, once I shifted from, I need to see manners in order to trust that they're good people. Yeah. That was huge for me. Does that make any sense? It makes a ton of sense. And actually, when we talk about the manners piece, it's actually, it's not about your kid at all. In fact, it's more because you don't want other people to think badly about your kid, right? You're really just transferring your own uh, anxiety, worry, uh, you know, the judgment of others onto your kid. And then, you know, and, and look, it happens. It happens because our parents don't understand. Like, why can't he say hi to me? You know, what do you mean he doesn't know how to say thank you? You don't know how to say thank you. Well, you're not getting your dessert if you don't know how to say thank you, right? Like, we get into those situations where people judge and, and condemn and, you know, you feel like you're a bad parent, but you're absolutely right. You got to just shut all that noise off for a second. Say, okay, hold on. Is that actually true? That my kid is not going to be a good person, is not kind, Hold on, no, my kid loves animals, right? My and so does mine, by the way. There's got to be some connection there. Uh, there's got to be. Um, and 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 look at how much she loves on people with her drawings, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. And I, I think once we start to have that, you know, perspective that it doesn't have to look this one way for it to be real and valid and genuine and okay. Right. Then Mm. we can see human beings. And we've done this in so many ways with other things, right? Like, you know, I don't want to end your session on hot button topics. Right. But I think we've had a lot of growth in terms of does someone have to have a particular sexual orientation in order to be okay? Does somebody have to dress a particular way? Do you have to have, you know, a certain look to be okay? And these are all the things that I think we're learning about people who are neurodiverse is you don't have to say, hi, how are you? Or thanks for coming to my party to be a good person and for other people to know you care. And so I don't know when it comes to really what is the 
What's the message that we as parents need to hold in our head when we want to connect with our kids through some really difficult symptoms, right? These can be difficult, challenging symptoms. People call them behavior, but they're symptoms. Mm-hmm. I think meeting that child where they're at, expressing in words, empathy and love, and then appreciating that moment for what it is and figuring out if you have a need, where can you get that need met? Like if I want to go camping, am I going to go join, you know, the middle-aged women campers of Florida? I don't know that I am or not, but I could, right? (laughs) My family doesn't have to meet that need for me. Yeah. Oh, you've just given us so much. Thank you so much. What you have shared is new. It's different. It's refreshing. I just want you to know that I, I, I have an entire page of notes um, just from this episode. And we had another episode last week. So if you haven't heard that yet, you need to go and uh, and listen to that episode as well. Because because really what, what Dr. Noreen Russell and I are just talking about is our shared experience of, look, this is tough you're in the trenches and people understand and people don't understand and just how we give our kids grace, how we give ourselves grace and other people grace as well. Not easy. It's a, it's, it is a practice. You, you know, like I said to you, I wake up every morning and I have to commit to doing this because my default setting is not so nice. Right. So, um, Thank you for this. You have a toolbox item that is so great. It's tips on connecting with your non-neurotypical child. So that's in the toolbox, of course, uh, you know, to join and to get that, you just have to be a member and it's free. It's www.parent-toolbox.com. Dr. Noreen Russell, thank you so much. All of your information is in the show notes. Everything that, um, you know, everywhere people can reach you is there. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I feel like I've met a kindred spirit here and somebody who gets me and really, um, you know, you're on a mission to help parents just like me. And that means the world to me and the parents who are struggling. We just need to, we need to have more kind, compassionate and empathetic help. We do. We do. I love your show. I I'm a fan. Um, I'm going to be listening. Thank you for, for choosing to um, have this conversation with me and, and for talking about our shared interests. It has been such a joy to be on both episodes with you. And um, I hope that it's helpful to listeners. I hope our empathy and understanding translates into more connectedness in their homes. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.